our cancer journey. Hey, OCJ Tribe friends. On today's show, we visit with Terry Ann DiGiulio. She's a corporate event planner, an avid cyclist, a survivor of multiple cancer diagnosis, a passionate advocate for education, and she's an award-winning fundraiser for lung cancer. Terry Ann will share some great insights about medical self-advocacy and some meaningful personal stories that will inspire us all. Check out this clip from the show. I'm going to be writing this story until I take my last breath because I have this beautiful life to live and I'm not going to waste it. Whether it ends tomorrow, next week, 50 years from now, I'm going to live every single day. You just wait and see. The Our Cancer Journey podcast is a place for those impacted by cancer, their caregivers, and their loved ones. Together, we explore ways that we can optimize our lives through the experiences of diagnosis and treatments and beyond into the future of survivorship. And now your host, Bruce Watkins. Greetings, everyone. I am Bruce Watkins, your host for the Our Cancer Journey podcast. This is the show where together we'll explore ways to help you feel better, live happier, expand your self-empowerment, and enhance your life experience. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad to be back with you. In our last broadcast, I mentioned I took a small break from the podcast, and now I have come back so refreshed, and I'm really excited that this is our first show since coming back from the break because we are going to meet a really special person, and her name is Terry Ann DiGiulio. Now, in the opening of the episode here, you heard me mention about Terry Ann's career and her passion for cycling and the fact that she's been diagnosed with cancer on more than one occasion. Now, any one or a couple of those things would make a pretty interesting conversation. But as this episode unfolds, we'll delve deeper into Terry Ann's backstory and how multiple members of her own family were also touched by cancer. But the arrival of cancer really isn't the big thing here. It's what Terry Ann did as one individual, how she chose to live, and what she did to help the people in the cancer community. It's inspiring. So stick with this episode all the way through because the takeaways and the surprises just keep coming. Terry Ann is committed to celebrating the gift of her beautiful life, as she says it, and to inspiring us all to do the same. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it for you. So let's jump right into our conversation with Terry Ann now. Terry Ann DiGiulio, I am so happy you're with us today. Thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you, Bruce. I'm super excited to be on our Cancer Journey podcast. I've listened to it and you're doing such great work here. I'm just thrilled to participate. You're doing fantastic work too. I cannot wait to share this with our audience. It's really wonderful. So thanks for coming on the program. I'm excited to talk to you today. I've actually never been interviewed on a podcast before. So this should be an exciting, interesting experience. Exciting and interesting. Boy, those are high bars for me to meet. (laughs) But uh, I hope it's going to be a comfortable process. As you probably heard on our show, because you mentioned that you listened a little bit, we like to really go deep into topics and try to get some takeaways for our audience. So I'm going to be doing that with us. But I know in hearing some of the things I've heard about you, you have an amazing story. What's happened with you through your cancer journey and where you've taken it, I learned a tremendous amount. I think our audience is going to get a lot out of it. So why don't we start at the point you were in your adult life when cancer just was about to show up so we have a little bit of a perspective of what your life was like. 
I had a pretty average corporate American life. I was an event planner for a financial services company. I was in the middle of planning a really important event. And next thing I know, I was feeling some chest pressure, went to my doctor. She sent me to the hospital. My heart was absolutely fine. They found a nodule in my right lung. You know, sometimes people get lung cancer because they've been exposed to environmental things. And they have some idea that they were exposed to it. Sometimes uh, somebody gets asbestos exposure. Did you have any idea that lung cancer was floating around your family or any idea that you could ever get cancer? No, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind. Um, They didn't even think that this nodule was lung cancer. They said to me, it's most likely something I was born with. And they just wanted to keep an eye on it. Why wouldn't they assume that it was cancer? Because I was young. I was 42 years old at the time and a woman. And although I have a tobacco history, it wasn't very strong. We know a lot more about lung cancer today than we did 16 years ago. Okay. So you go in, what happens? Well, I was told to watch it, which we did. I'm glad I took my doctor seriously and I had it checked every six months. And on the two-year mark, it changed. And at that point, I was sent to a surgeon, thoracic surgeon. I was told 10% chance this thing is malignant. Most likely it's benign. We're going to go in, we're going to wedge it out and biopsy it on the table. If it turns out to be malignant, we'll go back in and we'll take the lower lobe of your lung. But again, only 10% chance that will happen. So you went in pretty comfortable thinking, oh, this is probably not a big deal. It's all going to be okay. Exactly. So what year was this, Terry Ann? This was in 2005. Well, that was a while back. Yes. Okay, just for our listeners out there that aren't in the lung cancer community, what is the difference between a wedgectomy and a lobectomy? A wedgectomy is when they go in and remove just the tumor and the surrounding tissue of the tumor. A lobectomy is when they take the entire lobe that the tumor was in. That sounds a lot more invasive. It is. It is a lot more invasive. A much harder surgery. So you wake up to that news. I wake up to that news, Mm -hmm. and I also wake up in a lot of pain. How did you find that out? Uh, The poor guy that worked me up in the hospital. Yeah. I kept saying to him, what happened? You know, was it malignant? Was it benign? He said, the doctor's going to come over and talk to you. And I said, what surgery did I have? And he said, you had a lobectomy. And I knew right then and there I had cancer. Pretty devastating. Wow. Yeah, you know, that's a pretty common story. It seems a lot of us find out we have cancer from the recovery room nurse or something like that. So, (laughs) yeah, those people are in a tough position. When the doctor came in, what did they say? How was the prognosis? You know, he was awesome. I loved my surgeon. He came in and he said, you know, I'm even surprised that this turned out to be malignant, but but I believe we got it all. And I think you're going to be okay. I don't think you need chemo or any other treatment, but we'll talk about it as we go on. Wow. So you were kind of anticipating this was going to be an easy peasy thing. Yeah. A couple hours of surgery, a couple of days in the hospital turned out to be hours of surgery and seven full days in the hospital. Was this your first brush with illness? Yeah. You know, I'm really a pretty healthy person. Now, I don't know how to broach the subject, Terry Ann, but when... A lot of people hear the word lung cancer. They immediately think that somebody smoked. You know, there's kind of a stigma with lung cancer. What's your feedback about the stigma with lung cancer? 
You know what, Bruce? It's something that we fight every single day. Smoking is a risk factor. Yes, of course it is. But so is radon, asbestos, environmental issues, and most likely in my case, genetics. Do you know what I learned, which was shocking, is that one in 10 smokers will get lung cancer. But what people don't think about is that means nine of 10 will not. You know, I heard that. I heard a bit of that on one of your presentations, and then I read it again, and I had no idea. I mean, I was kind of raised that every single person that smokes is going to get lung cancer. I don't want to say this out loud, but I think I might have been one of those people that had that idea of that stigma in my mind. When I saw these stats, I was shocked. It's just not true. You know, of men and women with lung cancer, 18% of them are never smokers. And newly diagnosed patients, there are studies that cite between 60 and 70% of women who are newly diagnosed are never smokers. That's amazing. Isn't it though? We need to get out there and tell people this. That's why I talk about my journey and I share my story because I really want people to know that anyone can get lung cancer. We need to do something about it. So the stigma is absolutely real, this thing that I perceived. There must be people out there that because of the stigma may be hesitating to get screened or maybe hesitating to actually follow through with treatments because of this stigma. I mean, that's crazy. Yes. Wow. You're right. And I think it gets in the way of both funding for research, and I think it gets in the way emotionally, because if someone's a smoker and they're diagnosed with lung cancer, and the first question they're asked is, did you smoke? It's like they deserved it. No one deserves this disease. No one. Hey, Tribe Friends, it is Bruce, and I'm popping into the show for just a minute to ask you a personal favor. When it comes to podcast, subscriber numbers, ratings, and positive comments the show receives really helps people to discover the show and its content. Our mission is to try to get out important information to help empower people and to help people enhance the quality of their lives. If you like what we're doing here at the Our Cancer Journey podcast, or you feel it may be beneficial for others, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe, give us a favorable rating and a couple of nice comments too, we'd be greatly appreciative and we could be helping other people discover our program. Thanks a lot for listening. Let's get back to the show. I think back when I was younger, people smoked a little bit more before the awareness was out there. There were people that smoked for a little while and then just tapered off and just said, you know, this isn't for me. Or I know some people that go out and they have one cigarette with a drink, you know, every three months because it's a, something that they're socialized with. But when you hear that nine out of 10 people that smoke don't get lung cancer, while that might concern the health advocates out there, if that's the statistic, then this stigma is really misguided. Yes. Well, based upon that, Tyrion, I guess we need to do a lot more communication to get these stigmas out of here so people can get the help they need. Well, I think it's important that we focus on survivorship. And the community at large has done a great job in the past 40 years on focusing on prevention. Yes, do we want to prevent it? We do. But there are many causes of lung cancer. More and more younger women who have never smoked, who are athletes, 
30s, 40s, I've met them, are being diagnosed with lung cancer. And it's being diagnosed at stage four because no one thinks it's possible for them to get lung cancer. And now they're dealing with a much bigger issue than if they were diagnosed when it was stage one or stage two. It's interesting that you say that because I've run into people that have gone to seek medical treatment because they suspected something was wrong. They had a weird symptom here or a weird pain there, and they were misdiagnosed. And you mentioned earlier, your original doctor was dumbfounded and said that you're too young. Yes, I was 42 when it was discovered, and I was 44 when it was diagnosed. Two years later, for no other reason than we were watching it, because it could have been something I was born with. But because I was young and healthy, no one really suspected lung cancer. Wow. I was just lucky enough to have a great doctor that said, hey, let's just follow this and see where it leads. I've heard so many stories about young people with lung cancer, too. And it really begs the question of, is there environmental things happening around us? And now that we're starting to be more aware of the impact of environmental stuff on us, hopefully advocacy in that space will really help. Now, I know you're very, very, very involved with your advocacy, Terry Ann. So I want to talk about some of your passion about giving back to the LC community. Is it okay I say LC community? I'm yes. I'm not hip enough to be in the club, but, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I appreciate that. I feel, I, feel, I, feel, I feel a sense of belonging. Can you tell us more about giving back to the LC community? So lung cancer advocacy has become a calling for me. I think I mentioned to you that I'm an avid cyclist. Yeah, go ahead and tell us about that. I'm really excited to hear about it. After my first surgery, I used cycling as rehab. Well, I participated in bikeathons in the beginning for the American Cancer Society. That helped me get back into shape after my first surgery. Can I ask you a question really quick, Terrian? Yes. You were a cyclist before you were diagnosed with cancer. I was. That was a big thing for you. you I, I can see you're very passionate about it. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But how did you feel when you got a lung cancer diagnosis? I mean, here you love this sport. It's part of you, who you are. Was there any moment where you were worried or thinking, oh my God, or what was that like? Yes. I'll never forget walking through Valley Forge National Park. I live not far from Valley Forge National Park. And I was walking through the park and I was out of breath. And I'm like, if I can't even walk, how the heck am I going to get back on my bike? Man, I talk to all kinds of people that have experienced not just cancer, but any major life event where it was going to alter or potentially take away something that they loved. And some people didn't fare well, but other people motivated them. It sparked something in them. So tell us about how you came back from that and how you continued your cycling. I did. I just got on my bike and went. My pulmonologist actually told me, said, I'm not going to send you to rehab because you're doing more than any rehab would have you do. So cycling is my jam. I love it. And uh, it wasn't until after my second lung cancer diagnosis that I then took my advocacy into the lung cancer space before it was in the cancer space. But now it's specific to lung cancer. Okay, wait, wait, let's, let's talk about a second diagnosis. I mean, there's so many people that get a first diagnosis and they're reeling. So you get your lobectomy mm -hmm. and being the superwoman you are, you hop on a bike and start riding around. How long was it between the time when you were first diagnosed and the second diagnosis you just mentioned? 
Okay. So here's the really crazy thing. I was what they call NED, no evidence of disease for 11 years. Really? Yes. It was just four years ago. I was diagnosed the second time. So our first time was? First time was in 2005. Okay. I was 44. The second time was four years ago. So that was what, 2016? Okay. So yes, I was diagnosed a second time five years ago, right? After being followed, everybody was surprised because there's 11 years in between. Okay. So here you are sitting and you've been diagnosed for a second time. I mean, the power of that's got to be huge. What realizations or revelations came of this when you were there? Okay. Well, let me tell you this story. So I'm sitting in the surgeon's office and I learn the only surgical option now is to remove my entire lung because of where the tumor was located and my previous treatments. But he says, I think stereotactic radiation can help you and we can treat you with that. So that's the direction I went in. This is a treatment that was not available on lungs when I had my first surgery. So I am <laughs> sorry. Uh... Okay, it's fine. Okay. You were, you were excited. You were, you were starting. I know. Out. And then I was like, got all tongue tied because I do get excited, man. I got my right lung, <laughs> dude. I got, I'm not on oxygen. I don't blame you for being excited. My God. <laughs> so because of the advances that were made, I was able to keep my right lung. So I am a living example of the advances made in lung cancer treatment. Wow. That, you know, that's an incredible story because there are such huge advances in cancer treatment. So if you're a person and you're going to a general practitioner and you're having a little bit of a chest pain or like you said, a cough or whatever, and they do what some general practitioners do, you know, take two aspirin, call me in the morning. Oh, I'm sure that's not that. How would you suggest that people step into a little bit more of an advocacy role for themselves and suggest this? Considering what you're saying is pretty easy. I talk to my doctors about it now. I'm educated now. Before I followed direction, uh, now I advocate for myself. But what I want people to know is that lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death in the United States. It kills more people than colorectal, pancreatic, breast, or prostate cancer. And not everybody knows that. But if you have that information, you can talk to your doctor about it if you're having symptoms and ask for that CT scan. And if they push back, throw some stats at them. Even if you don't have risks for lung cancer, if you, if you have symptoms or persistent cough or you feel like something's not right, low-dose CT scan of your chest is painless, it's easy, and it's a way to detect lung cancer. So I encourage people, don't be afraid to get scans. Scans are so easy. They take about five minutes. They don't hurt. Easy peasy, you know? Yes, a lung cancer diagnosis is scary, but boy, it's amazing the kind of life you can live when it's caught early. You know, I've heard people go and ask other people their opinion about like, oh, well, I went through this or my aunt went through it or aunt. And they're talking about a time that's past, it's history. And they're not talking about the things that are available today. How do you communicate to people? This is part of your education efforts to get people out there to know that these things are out there and how to ask for them? 
yes, I really like to help other patients understand that, hey, this is our body. These are my lungs. My doctors know that I ask questions, not because I'm questioning them, but because I want to learn. I want to learn about my lungs. I want to learn what treatments are out there. I go out and I find people and I talk to my medical team and I want to tell other patients, it's okay to ask questions. It's important to be your own advocate. It's your body. You have the final say on how it's treated. That is a spectacular point. That's a big mission here of the Our Cancer Journey podcast is for self-empowerment. And it all starts with being curious and asking questions and finding out what's available right now. So thank you very much for that. I'm sure there's many people that have benefited from that. So thank you, Terri Ann. You're welcome. Uh, was there anything else that kind of informed you or influenced you in your advocacy or your outlook on education and what you wanted to communicate to people? Yes, actually, Bruce, a lot happens. So I was diagnosed the first time. A year later, in almost an identical way, my mother was diagnosed with lung cancer. And then when she told her doctor about me, he said everyone in the family should get tested and screened. My uncle was then diagnosed with lung cancer from that screening. Two years later, my mother's sister was diagnosed with lung cancer. You had four people in your family diagnosed with lung cancer? Five, because then a year after that, I had another uncle diagnosed. I am one of five family members diagnosed with lung cancer. So yes, it is indeed personal to me. Oh my, Terri Ann, wow. Were the kinds of cancer all identical? So in a way, they were all similar as in they were all non-small cell lung cancer, but we were all diagnosed at different stages. And we all have different backgrounds, right? So out of five people, I'm the first one diagnosed 16 years ago. And today I'm the only one that survived the disease. Oh, Terri Ann, I'm, I'm so sorry. Thank you. I was diagnosed at stage one. My mother was diagnosed at stage three. My aunt was diagnosed at stage two, I believe. My uncle at stage three. Early detection is vitally important to live for this disease. I don't even know what to say, Terri Ann. I mean, you're one of five and the only survivor of your family. Yes. Many things have gone well for you. And you've done some amazing things that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the program. But how did this change your outlook towards advocacy and you? Well, you know, it's interesting. The first time I was diagnosed, my advocacy and fundraising was all geared towards cancer in general. I uh, did bikeathon for the American Cancer Society. After I was diagnosed the second time and I had so many family members impacted, I felt the need to really do something within the lung cancer community and do something specific to help my family. And more importantly, to my niece, she's the next generation. So we now have two generations touched by this disease. I want to do all I can to help this next generation and anybody else out there with lung cancer. So all of my advocacy became lung cancer focused. Tell us a little bit about what you've done with your advocacy. Well, I've fundraised and I've gotten to do some really, really cool things. So I've been a consumer reviewer for the Lung Cancer Research Program through the CDMRP, which is the Congressionally Directed Medical Program through the Department of Defense. So I get to review scientific grants and comment on them from a consumer's point of view. I've been asked to speak on panels. I've been asked to speak to patients in different conferences, talk to doctors, 
get the word out, share my personal lung cancer journey to help other patients and to help physicians understand what it's like from the patient's perspective. So I've had some really amazing opportunities presented. Wow, that is a real variety of ways to give back. That's wonderful to hear because I know sometimes our folks in our audience are looking for different ways to give back and sometimes are at a loss. You know, they think there's only one way to give back or another. And clearly there's a lot of opportunities there. Would I be able to get some links from you that we can put into the show notes for people on where they might be able to get some more information about those kinds of spaces? Yes, of course. I'd be happy to share them with you. I'm sure they would appreciate that too. So how else did your advocacy change or what else did you do? Did you continue to do your fundraising? Because you mentioned you were doing that before. I did continue to do my fundraising and in a pretty big way. I remember there was a time where I was afraid to make my fundraising goal $10,000. And I was going to be turning 60 years old. And I just said to someone, I'm going to raise $60,000 in my 60th year. And I don't know where it came from, but I said it and I committed to it. So on March 1st last year, I was running a little late because my birthday's in January. I launched a campaign and three weeks later, the world shut down with a pandemic. Perfect. (laughs) Right, right. But I kept going because it was important. And I'm happy to tell you that by my 60th birthday this past January, I not only raised $60,000, I exceeded that goal by another 20 and I ended up raising $80,000 for lung cancer. That is an amazing story. You did it in a number of different ways too, but you had a campaign going, you had a website going, you just went at this thing full bore. I did. I did. And I, it wasn't just a fundraising campaign though. It was an educational campaign. I wanted to educate people and let them know about lung cancer, that anyone with lungs can get lung cancer, that we desperately need funds for research and that early detection is key. And I'm living proof of it. I ride my bike hundreds of miles every summer. You'd never know that I'm a lung cancer survivor. No, we wouldn't. (laughs) And I have to tell you, in, in all honesty, I know recently you were given an award. And I wanted to congratulate you, but first, will you tell us a little bit about the award? Thank you so much. Yes, it was the Rays of Hope Award, my go-to foundation for lung cancer. And I am so humbled to be the recipient of this award. It was named after a gentleman, Richard Heimler, who was a past lung cancer advocate who lost his life to the disease. Very inspiring man. And to even be put in the same category with him is a humbling experience. Well, the fact that you made this phenomenally high fundraising goal and that you went out and spoke and you advocated in the way you did, that's so admirable. But then to be recognized for these efforts, it's inspirational for all of us. And I got to tell you, I was just moved by what I heard. And then when I hear you talking about your passion for giving back, I mean, this is more than just an intellectual thing. This really means something to you. You're trying to make a difference. And I really want to learn a little bit more about what's driving you. I mean, there's people out there that are listening, Terri-Ann, and some of them have begun to lose hope, and some of them temporarily have lost hope. But then to see somebody that's going, no, I'm not going to lose hope. I'm going to make a choice here. It's wonderful to see. It reminds us all that we can have that power within ourselves. 
So I'd like you to tell me the story about where that came from. Where is that thing that's burning inside you that keeps you going and doing what you do? You know, it's interesting. About a month or so ago, somebody asked me, what does survivorship mean to you? To me, with survivorship comes a tremendous, profound sense of responsibility to do something, to give back. I'm here for a reason. I have four family members that aren't. I want to give back. I want to do something. I'm here. I have found a passion. Everybody can find it within them, whatever they're passionate about. It'll come to them. For me, it's cycling. It's through fundraising. It's through educating people. It's through sharing a very personal story in a very public way, which can be really scary. But every time I share my story, I can have a patient come up to me and say, for example, gosh, my doctor stopped my scans at 10 years. I'm going to ask him to start scanning me again because you were 11 years in between. So if I've helped one person or my story has helped one person, it's all worth it. Well, clearly you've made a difference. And one of the things I love about your message is you're telling people you don't have to be like me. You can give back in a number of different ways. And I know when we spoke just briefly a little while ago, you mentioned to me that people helped you and they weren't all on cycles and they weren't all telling their story. Can you give an example of some of those people that really were the secret behind your success? You know, it's interesting for me. I never thought that I would be sharing my story publicly, and that's not for everybody. But someone that I know kind of gently nudged me in that direction, and it turned out to be a really great thing. I have other people that I know that their thing is they want to support me, and supporting me through my fundraising goals is how they help. You know, there are all different ways that people can volunteer that work for them. I don't ever want to tell anybody what to do. I'm living my life the best way it works for me. And everybody needs to live their lives the best way it works for them and find their niche. If they want to give back, find your niche of how you want to give back. For me, I feel I was guided in this direction. And there were a lot of people that helped me out along the way. Everybody who donated to my campaign, every single one of those dollars carries so much gratitude. I wouldn't be here without them. For those listening to me out there right now, I just want to say, find your passion. Passion brings joy. Cycling brings joy. I'm the happiest on my bike. So I used that and I went out and did something with it. So what you're passionate about, you could be surprised of what it will turn into. So we've talked about a number of different things, Terry, and I, I got to tell you, it's not just that you've done some really remarkable things. It's how you're doing them. It's that feeling of wanting to do and accomplish something. And I really want to get to the bottom of that. Where's that coming from? Well, you know, it's interesting. So the big picture of my story is I've had lung cancer a couple of times. And what we haven't touched on too, part of my health journey is I had a stroke three years ago, the kind of stroke that leaves you on the floor without the use of the left side of your body. And was this after that second round of treatment for uh, your second diagnosis? Yes, it was. It was uh, about a year after. So the way it went down, my brother, my beautiful 56-year-old, very healthy brother, died suddenly of a heart attack. A year later, I'm diagnosed with lung cancer. A year after that, I had a stroke. Oh, my God. So let me tell you something. 
you have something like that happen, there's a reason I'm here. There's no, <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, no. Sorry. Ariane, it's okay. I'm pausing because I do get very emotional when I talk about this. It's okay. Um, so my passion comes from knowing that it can be taken away in a heartbeat, just like that, just like that. You never know. So I live the hell out of my life, and I'm going to be writing this story until I take my last breath because I have this beautiful life to live, and I'm not going to waste it. Not going to waste it, whether it ends tomorrow, next week, 50 years from now. I'm going to live every single day. And you're going to live the hell out of life. I am. I ha- you say I have an interesting story. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to be writing that story till I take my last breath. You just wait and see. Man. Ladies and gentlemen in the listening audience, that right there was a very powerful point from a dynamo of a cancer survivor. And you might be thinking, wow, that's a great and very poignant beat to end a podcast episode on, right, Bruce? And you would be right. But that's not what we're going to do here. You see, I heard that and I just sat there for a second and I listened to her statement. And then I thought in my mind, okay, well, maybe I'll just go ahead and wrap up the show, say the goodbyes you do at the end of a podcast. But I decided just to start asking her another question. And when I did that, she not only dropped some wisdom that I could not resist putting in the show, she also decided to share a piece of very personal information, a piece of information I did not know she was going to share with you and I on the podcast. But she did. So I decided to go ahead and include it in the podcast, not only because it's got a great takeaway, but because I think it's going to give you some context to where Terry Ann was at at the time of this interview and how she still maintained her commitment to, as she says, live the hell out of her life, no matter what the circumstances. Here's the final bit of our conversation. (laughs) That's interesting. Um, I kind of like the concept of joy and the fact that sometimes if you ask somebody something about joy, you include joy in it. And then you also say, what makes you happy? The answer to what makes you happy is sometimes very different than what brings people joy. What brings me joy is helping people and saying yes and having exciting opportunities and doing things I love, you know? So I'm going to have this wonderful conversation with you this morning, and then I'm going to go out with a, for a hike with a girlfriend after we're done, because that brings me joy. And it's important to me. You know, aging is a privilege, and I get to age, and I get to live. So with that life, I want to do big things, because why not? Aging is a privilege. Yes. That is a wonderful sentiment. I was terrified the first time I got up and told my story publicly. I didn't even know how I was going to do it. But I've just gotten to the point where I just put my fear aside and I say yes to everything. And it has led to some pretty amazing places, places I never in a million years thought my journey would get to. So now I say yes to everything, which is kind of why 
I'm sitting here talking to you on your podcast just a few days before going into surgery for my third round of lung cancer. Whoa, whoa. Now, I was going to kind of see if you wanted to talk about that because I'm respectful of people's privacy. But since you went there, Terry Ann, yes, you did share some information with me when we were setting up this interview. Information that I did not know when I first reached out to you because I was just amazed with your story and I wanted to share it with our audience. You want to talk about your new diagnosis? Yes, sure. I'm happy to share with you. Okay. I am most likely facing my third lung cancer diagnosis. I say most likely because we don't have tissue in hand. We'll have that on Tuesday. And I am having a wedge resection in my left upper lobe of my lung. You know, we touched before on pulling from mental strength. And once again, I have to pull from an internal strength to walk into the surgery. But I also want to help my community. And I also want to get the word out there. And so I said yes to talk to you on your Our Cancer Journey podcast. I have to tell you, I reached out to Terry Ann and we're talking and she is the amazing person you hear. And then she just mentioned, you know, the timing of the podcast recording might be a little bit problematic because I've just been diagnosed and I'm sitting here floored because I just spent a lovely amount of time speaking to this person that's truly inspirational, but I'm sitting here floored because I'm thinking this woman is days away from a third surgery, a third surgery for lung cancer. You would have never known it. And I was sitting there going, we can delay this. I did what all of us do. And Terry Ann's response was, no, we're not going to delay this. And it really gave me a moment to think about my own commitment to life, Terry Ann. And I owe you a thank you. I just feel like I'm the luckiest girl alive. You know, I have this beautiful life and I get to live it. I've been through a lot. I've been through cancer. I've lost a lot of people from cancer. Um, I've been able to somehow pull something positive out of all of my experiences. And I'm still here. I'm still here to give my family a voice. I'm still here to talk on behalf of the lung cancer community. I truly am the luckiest girl alive. And I try really hard to be present in my life. And it's not always an easy thing to do. But it's a beautiful thing when it happens. This is the only life I get. This is the only life any of us get. So I plan on living it. And I plan on writing this story until I take my last breath. I am nowhere near done yet. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for inspiring me and many, many, many other people. It's really been wonderful to be here and talk to you, Bruce. Thank you. Well, I think that I'm the one that should be thanking you because I got a lot out of this program. Where can we find more out about you? Well, if you want to know more about me and what I'm doing, I do have a website that you can go to. It's my name, terryandajulio.com. And if you want to learn more about lung cancer and find out statistics and find out resources and patient services, you can go to GoToFoundation's website, GoToFoundation for Lung Cancer. Perfect. I will put links to both of those websites in the show notes for this show. Be sure to check them out. Go to the website at OurCancerJourney.com. Terry ann I'm looking forward to checking in with you again. I know you got a couple of things coming up that you need to attend to. So on behalf of all of us, best of luck. We're with you 100%. And we look forward to good news. Do you hear me, Terry ann Yes, and I look forward to sharing my good news. Okay, Tyrann. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on the program. Bruce, I I loved being on this program. I have to tell you, I was nervous. I've never done a podcast before, 
But this was just like talking to an old friend. So it was really a great experience. Well, I felt the same way. So let's talk again. All best. And we will talk in the near future, Terry. And thank you. Thank you. Now that is a close to a podcast. What an ending. Terry Ann DiGiulio's life outlook is very aligned with ours here at the Our Cancer Journey podcast, as well as our mission and philosophy. So we are thrilled to share her story. And I do have one last surprise. Terry Ann shared another bit of wisdom and insight, and I dropped an audio clip of that extra piece on the episode webpage for this show. It's at OurCancerJourney.com. That's our podcast webpage, www.OurCancerJourney.com. Go there, check out the show notes there with all of the links we talked about in this show, and check out that special surprise audio clip. I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, and by the way, you may be wondering how Terri Ann did after her procedure that happened right after this podcast to address her third diagnosis with cancer. Well, I'm happy to let you all know she checked in with me. And she is doing great. Matter of fact, as predicted, she got back on her bike, got back into shape, and even traveled internationally to Italy to put on an event that she had planned. <laughs> is there any surprise there? I'm hopeful that we can visit again with Terry Ann in the future. But until then, I'd like to say a message to all of you special OCJ Tribe Our Cancer Journey listeners. Please remember this. If cancer or anything else comes out of the blue and knocks you down, even if it knocks down those you care about and love and things look bleak, inside each one of us, we all have the power. We have the power to get back up. We have the power to reach out for a helping hand of support, to advocate for ourselves and find that hidden key to our self-empowerment. When we are ready, we can do this because this is our cancer journey. This episode of the Our Cancer Journey podcast is sponsored and produced by Fairlead Media. All rights reserved.